You're listening to the Fantasy Wildcard Podcast. Hello and welcome to a, a slightly different fantasy wildcard this week. Um, as always, I'm your host, Matt. You can follow me on Twitter at MattFFDynasty. And now at this point, I'd usually introduce my two co-hosts, Kevin Alley. Sadly, neither of those guys are here, but fear not, we've brought in probably a better replacement. I think we've now made the actual two best people from the fantasy wildcard group. <laughs> and we've brought on Mags to be my co-host today. You can follow on Twitter at Hot Seat Mags. Mags, how you doing, mate? Yes, Matt. Absolutely great to be to be back again, we're saying just before that, I think I've been on the show more than Ali in the last month. So Definitely. it's nice to be, it's nice to kind of out with the old and, you know, in with the new and, and, and get me in. And, and and let's get this show, you know, probably the best episode of the Fantasy Wildcard ever coming right up now, right? 100%, that's it. I've got an amazing new co-host today. And with that, we've also got an amazing guest joining us. He is a dynasty content leader at King Fantasy Sports. Probably one of the nicest guys in the community. We had him on our uh, streamathon, and he was absolutely brilliant to watch. And I think also he's still riding pretty high on his beloved Rams winning the Super Bowl last year. So we give a warm <laughs> fantasy wildcard welcome to Lewis Wood, who you can follow on Twitter at LewisWoodFF underscore UK. Lewis, how are you doing? Thank you so much, man. Yeah, really, really good to be here. I just want to add a little caveat. I'm not uh, riding on the high of the Rams being in the Super Bowl last year. I am riding off the high of the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Super Bowl last year, um, and that uh, it's fascinating. You know, I was on I was on another podcast yesterday actually, and I was saying how it, it does remind me a little bit of like winning a fantasy championship that mm. you ride on an absolute high for the off season. You get close to the new season starting, and then you're like, oh, irrelevant, doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> um, everyone's everyone's gunning for the Kings, but the fact that we won the Super Bowl has basically been forgotten by this point. So I've had a lovely yeah. off season, um, <laughs> still riding that high, but. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to manage to continue as the regular season gets started. No, I think you should definitely enjoy it, Lewis. I mean, obviously, Mags as well, a Chiefs fan. I've got two guys here that support two of the probably two of the better teams in the NFL. And I'm here, my little old New York Giants. Um, no, we're, no, we're quite near the, the two teams that you two support. So hopefully, at some point, I can get that feeling that you two have had in in recent years. Um, but yeah, with that, we, we obviously have a great show coming up. We've got Lewis on, as I say, and on today's show, we're going to be discussing some players that are getting some of that training camp preseason hype this off season, and how we're going to approach them from a, a dynasty perspective. So, Lewis, straight over to you with with the first guy you want to talk about. That's that's yeah, been building a little bit of hype this off season. Mm, absolutely, and just quickly before I do get started, I think it's really interesting to think about the way the fantasy community reacts to preseason hype, and I think we've yeah. seen a lot of. Um, in this off-season in particular, people do still react, but after the Jamar Chase controversy from last year, where we were told that he had forgotten how to catch, and then it turned <laughs> out he did remember how, people are really kind of taking less stead into camp reports. I think it's been really interesting yeah. to see, but the first guy that I want to talk about as someone that um, is less so to do with preseason performance and more so to do with uh, off-season changes, uh, be that a new head coach, um, and also a really exciting offensive weapon, um, is Tua, uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Um, he's a really interesting one for fantasy this year because it feels like for both fantasy and for the regular NFL, this is someone who has to take the leap now. And if he's not going to be taking the leap this season, it feels like he's probably not going to at all. Um, he's had, you know, a really disappointing first couple of seasons, obviously been injured on and off, um, but still kind of not... He's had the occasional flash. You'll get real um, kind of 
two are lifers, real believers in the talent, um, really highly rated coming out of college uh, and, and until kind of the hip injury. Um, but that season, it was, you know, even with Joe Burrow ending up being the quarterback to pip him, um, it was all about tank for Chua beforehand before we, <laughs> we, you know, it was kind of overtaken, but really hasn't been that exciting. I was looking at kind of things like air yards per attempt or just looking at various different passing stats. Um, I uh, was looking at the top 25 for air yards per attempt in 2021. So obviously discounts the kind of the games that he might have missed. Um, do you guys want to guess where he might have finished in that top 25? Mags? Uh, I'd, outside of it? I don't know. <laughs> like, outside, outside of it? Of is- <laughs> Yeah. Outside of it is correct. It is correct. Yes. Um, he's not even on the screen. Quarterbacks like wow. Teddy Bridgewater, Matt Ryan, wow. Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz are all on there, um, and he is not. Um, he's a really interesting one because obviously bringing in Tyreek Hill and bringing in Mike McDaniel, um, as well as already having Jalen Waddle, we feel like um, he must be about to take this leap. Um, for me, I'm a little bit less convinced. Um, if you look at kind of... Um, quarterbacks who have managed to facilitate really outstanding talents beforehand um it's not necessarily a, a kind of a dead cert that he's going to be elevated by um just bringing in um the new talents and they can still have sustained output without two of them finishing particularly high I don't think we're going to see a huge amount of rushing for him. Um, I think the run game is going to be really good in Miami um, if the offensive line can improve a little bit, obviously, with um, uh, with bringing in um, some new talent as well. But I think the scheme is really friendly uh, coming out of, obviously, San Francisco and the Shanahan tree. Um, I think Tua will be fine. I think Waddle will be fine. I'm not convinced by Tua himself. Yeah, um, just kind of doing some notes on this as well. Lewis and we kind of touch upon a lot of the a lot of the same things. Like I think for for a dynasty, like you think is to a buy, and you're like, but actually, most people that have to, as you said, you know, probably will rate him quite highly. So you're probably not going to want to pay that that price to to take him off their hands. And yes, the weapons around him are really strong. And yeah, he's kind of a an accurate quarterback when it's on those sort of like short, sharp little routes. He doesn't throw the ball deep, as you discussed. One thing about that is that. Tyreek Hill is so explosive and so amazing that you actually don't necessarily have to be the most accurate deep thrower for Tyreek Hill. You just need to be able to hit these kind of open spaces and Hill will, you know, reach that volume nine times out of ten. So that might help to it. But but for me, there are there are so many red flags with him as well. Like you start back with the injuries all the way back to college. You mentioned that hip injury and he gets hurt, you know, nearly every year. And then we talk about, you know, Mike McDaniel coming in, that run heavy game. Is he going to be happy with Tua? I mean, he was part of that offense that wasn't happy with Jimmy Garoppolo, and he was part of that team that was in the discussions to bring in Trey Lance when he was still there. So are they going to do the same thing, and they're going to bring in someone who has a rushing upside at quarterback? I mean, there is an outside chance that Tua turns out to be like Kirk Cousins or or even Jimmy Garoppolo even, but I don't see him being anything more than that. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the same. Oh, sorry, Matt. That's good. No, no, sorry, go. Kind of a similar thing that I share. And I think that the interesting thing is we see these exciting new head coaches coming in um, with these younger quarterbacks. But the thing we have to remember is a regime that didn't draft a quarterback have no loyalty to them, which is why it's yeah. really a make or break year for Tua. 
Yeah, completely agree, Lewis. That's exactly what I was going to say, to be honest. I'm, I'm personally really, well, I was really high to her when he, when he came in as a rookie. I had him as QB1 in, in that class. So part of me deep down really wants him to succeed. And and I feel like, like you mentioned, Lewis, this this scheme that's come in, it, it's, it's, you'd imagine, perfect for two of that, that, as you say, 49ers style offense, where it's more not reliant on the deep balls. It's more the short passes, the the trickery plays, the keeping it short and simple for somebody like two. And we know that in terms of accuracy, he is right up there. And remember, we were speaking about um, two on a, on a recent show when we were talking about Jalen Waddle and, and uh, Tyreek Hill. And he is actually a really accurate quarterback. But like you say, we never really see those ARs, those deep passes from him. And I feel like now with this scheme, it's not really that reliant on those deep balls. And as Mags mentioned with Tyreek Hill, you've just got to get the ball in his hands or even if you're not super accurate with his speed, it is going to get him. So I feel like this is the perfect situation. But at the same time, you're absolutely nailed it, Lewis. This is the the make or break year for him. He's now got all those weapons. You just look back to last year. You basically just had Jalen Waddle and Mike Gizeki coming in now again. But now they've surrounded him with some some really interesting weapons. So, yeah, I fully agree. This is a, a make or break year for Tua. And, it, and with that, it does become risky in terms of, of his dynasty value. But if it all hits well, if it all goes well, I think he's going to be a rock-solid QB too, like like Mike said. But I don't think he quite has that elite upside as, as some of the top guys at the end of that QB2 range, low QB1 range. But, yeah, great guy to, to start on. Yeah, one one thing just uh, to close off on Tua is I was having a look through thinking about, you know, um, Tyreek's previous quarterbacks and putting Mahomes to one side. If you try and compare towards Alex Smith and looking at actually someone who's a more accurate player, doesn't quite have the rushing upside, doesn't quite have the arm, but, you know, can stand in the pocket and make throws and then let Yak carry them to a more successful performance. Um, This is obviously kind of, you know, a one-season sample size, and it probably doesn't mean too much, but it's worth saying that in Alex Smith's last um, season in Kansas City, when he obviously had Tyreek really early on in his career, um, he finishes a QB3. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with that, that's why I'm uh, I'm interested for Baker Mayfield as well, and <laughs> see what he can do over at, at Carolina. But yeah, that's a, a great start. And we talked a little bit there about, about Tyreek Hill. That kind of leads us on his, his former team. And, and the next player that you, you want to discuss, Lewis? Yeah, Isaiah Pacheco is a really interesting player to me. And I think kind of sums up, there's more to him than in a dynasty argument than there is the player themselves. And it's the way that we look at running back opportunity. And it's the way that we sort of can jump on the hype of a player that we might not have watched or might not have scouted previously, just because we think they might be coming into a role. Um, Now, actually, Isaiah Pacheco, I think, looks like he's in a slightly different situation uh, than when I put this forward, because it seems by all accounts that Ronald Jones is making the roster. Um, It also seems like Jared McKinnon is making the roster, and obviously Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was never in doubt. Um, That puts Pacheco in a weird spot, because that's a lot of people he has to usurp. Um, But actually, kind of going back and watching his tape, what you see is a really high-energy player, um, and a player with a decent amount of speed, 4.37 in the 40 is not too bad, um, a decent amount of strength, you know, decent size as well. I was left wanting for a lot of polish from him. I think you can see sort of that excited toddler running style where they're just running and running and running and they <laughs> never want to stop. But there's that, you know, not quite, you know, the patience you need to see or the footwork you need to see. Obviously, these are things that can be added later on, but he's an interesting talent um i personally am not particularly on board with the people who are going out and buying him as if he is already the chiefs rb1 because i just think 
you know, evidence has shown us that the later you are drafted, the less likely it is you're going to be fantasy relevant. Um, and I know we all like to talk about, you know, uh, Adam Thielen as a as a um, undrafted free agent or James Robinson a couple of years ago. And, you know, it can happen. It absolutely can. But there's a reason that we point out those examples. And it's because <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. Um, so I do think he's a player with a lot of talent. I think as a community, we're incredibly down on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And it comes from that kind of stinky effect of a player that you drafted high that let you down and we've never really forgiven him for that even though he's actually not been that bad um the last few years obviously has had a little bit of injury problem um the problem came that he was being so overdrafted um but actually finished as the the ppr running back 22 in that first season which like as a rookie not that bad you know solid rb2 that's fine um but he was being drafted like the rb6 so there was much higher expectations but I think Pacheco, it's going to take a lot of work for him to beat out um, Clyde, but he's not even looking to beat him out yet. He's looking um, to take the down work or, or, you know, steal some early down work from Ronald Jones as well. So future is potentially bright. There is an opportunity there. I just think it's now looking to be harder work than we thought it was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no, fully agree. Like yourself, I think he's a really interesting player. Looking back to his, his college profile, he played over at Rutgers, didn't really blow anyone away with what he did over there, over 500 rushing yards, uh, 500 rushing carries, sorry, 2,442 uh, yards and 18 touchdowns. So as I say, nothing really that, that super wows. You did have a little bit of involvement in the receiving game as well, which I think can be interesting looking forward to to his role maybe over at, at Kansas City. But like you said, I think when he ran that 4-3-7 at, at the combine, that's when really people started to take note of his name. Obviously, that tied first amongst the, the running backs there, so that caught people's eye. And that's when the, the hype kind of started to build. And then when the, the Chiefs took him, obviously, he fell all the way to the, the seventh round. I think he became interesting again because he was on the Chiefs. But at the time, obviously, as you say, a, a round seven pick, there's, there's not many of those guys that, that tend to hit in, in fantasy. But in the training camp and in in the preseason he's definitely caught that little bit of hype again and and like you said i think it's getting to that point where it is beginning to, to spiral out of control maybe now the fact that like you said they, they've kept those four running backs does make it a little bit more muddy i think maybe if you mentioned ronald jones if he did leave and and they didn't keep him that makes it a little bit more interesting with the, the three backs there you feel like um, mckinnon's going to be that that receiving back that pass down back so then it's between pacheco and and uh, Clyde but to then as you say if we're talking about a, a first round running back against a seventh round running back I, I know that like I said Edward Tillier hasn't hasn't lived up to the unreal expectation that I think people put on on somebody like Clyde Edwards-Alaire but at the same time I agree with what you said Lewis I think when he has played he's, he's looked he's looked a really solid running back I think not quite the the hype that we we're all hoping for but I do think he has been solid but as you mentioned those injuries I think that's what makes Pacheco a really interesting guy if those injury concerns do carry on we know that Clyde was there not the, the biggest of running backs um I think that makes Pacheco interesting and, and we've seen he's got that explosiveness that that one flash that big playability that I think if they can get him out in space then it becomes interesting but as you said I still feel like this is a, a crowded backfield and I feel like the hype's building too much RB 47 on keep trade cut um, I'll be 54 on, on DLF's August ADP. So that is definitely starting to, to creep up in value. Um, I'm like yourself, Lewis. I wouldn't be paying a, a fortune to go and get someone like Pacheco. If you, can, if you were able to grab him cheap in your, in your rookie draft, you're probably helping. I'd, I'd imagine you want to either try and sell him or if you can't get that, that value that, that seems to be generating, then I feel like you should keep holding and see what happens. But yeah, Mags, have you got any final thoughts on, on Pacheco? Yeah, I think Pacheco, like I've said a few times, I don't even, I don't know if I mentioned it last time I was on here, but like 
Ronald Jones was always going to make the team. Like you don't bring in someone like Ronald Jones and you cut him. He was he was always going to make that team. Pacheco's real competition was Derek Gore. He's beaten out Derek Gore. He's got a spot on the team. There is a chance he can get some work if Clyde Edwards Alert goes down, or if you know Ronald Jones does Ronald Jones stuff and fumbles the ball and gets <laughs> in the bad books. You know, he has a chance to get on the field. But I think if you're an owner of Pacheco at the minute, you're either looking to sell. Or you just got to be willing to be patient with them and, and hope an opportunity comes up. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we're now going to move on to, to the next running back, Lewis. And we're talking about opportunity. I mean, this this fits perfectly in someone that's got the, the complete reversal of that and a potential massive opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's Damien Pierce uh, for the Texans. Um, this was a spot pre-draft that we looked at and went, because there was a real dearth of... Um, actual good opportunities for running backs um this is one that you looked at and went yeah they can be three down starter it's a bad team but they're a team that commits to the run and i guess they can start and then Brees hall didn't go there although there were rumors that they were really interested in him kenny walker didn't go there james cook didn't go there um but actually um i was very happy because uh damian pierce was my pre-draft rb4 um he was someone that i was quite high on watching the tape i think i'm very um excited by players that play the way Damian Pierce does that he's you know he's very very thickly built um he absolutely bounces players off of him um he looks like he's kind of got a real like kind of a, a wound up motor to him that you just unleash him in every single play he's running hard um you can see it all throughout kind of his his tape in Florida was a two-year starter there um and you can see that he's got a lot of strength in his legs so he has the ability to break tackles. Um, we've now seen um, in the last few hours, Marlon Matt get cut. So mm-hmm. Damian Pierce's only competition is Rex Burkhead, who I think is 57 years old um, <laughs> and also not very good at football. Um, so I think I think the Marlon Matt cut has basically confirmed to us that Damian Pierce is the starter. And you might see Rex Burkhead get a little bit of work here and there in the same way that you see every running back um, except Derek Henry get some work siphoned off them here and there. Um, I'm really excited about Damian Pierce. Uh, his ADP has already started to absolutely go through the ceiling um, in the same way it does with all of these each year. Do you remember um, Adrian Peterson got cut for the uh, commanders a couple of years ago and Antonio Gibson suddenly flew up drafts yeah. um, I've seen him in a recent draft, in the draft that I'm in at the moment, um, he went at the back of the 7th um, when his ADP was projected at about the 12th. But I think mm. that's probably what you're going to see because when you mm. get past the running back dead zone or even kind of during that, when you're looking at the Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins kind of rounds, I can see why people want to go for the upside and the opportunity of a player that they might be a bit more excited about. It's someone whose tape I really, really loved. Um Again, in a similar way to Pacheco, if you're looking from a dynasty outset, uh, if I drafted Damian Pierce at the 206, which is about where he was going, I'm kind of happy to sell him right now. I think whenever you have a player who their value explodes in the offseason, I'm kind of happy to capitalize on that and move on and just look at it at kind of a return on investment. But from a redraft perspective, I'm really interested in Damian Pierce right away and think he's going to show that skill set very early on. Yeah, absolutely love this this pick here. I mean, you know, as I was typing up my notes, obviously, I just finished what I had to say about Marlon Mack. Uh, I said his best year was 2019. 
And then the Colts drafted Jonathan Taylor, so even at his best, he's not good enough for an NFL team. And then I was telling Matt, I think the Texans might have access to our Google, Google documents form because <laughs> they caught him immediately after I typed that. And yeah, the rest of his the rest of his competition is is Rex Burkhead, who who may as well be called T Rex Burkhead because he's a fossil, right? He's <laughs> so old. So it's definitely going to be the Pierce show over there at, at the Texans. And you know he's like brilliant in preseason, which I know preseason is preseason, but looking really good is better than looking really bad. So he couldn't have made a better start so far. And, you know, the main, the main worry I would have about him is kind of the main reason I'm kind of excited about Davis Mills this year is the Texans are a pretty bad team. They're going to be throwing a lot. And Pierce, his value might depend a lot on touchdowns. But the problem is the Texans average less than two touchdowns per game last year, which is insanely low. That's not just like offensive touchdowns or rushing touchdowns. That's offense, defense, special teams, the whole lot less than two per game so that'll be my only worry about pierce is we need the texans to take a step forward for him to you know really get that that high-end value but you know i really like the pick and yeah opportunity is value at the running back position so i like that pick of pierce definitely yeah and, and let me just give you the the experience of, of relying on these day three running backs as well looking at the, the long term <laughs> you know my love for michael carter last year and I mean, look how that ended up. You, you mentioned Brees all at the start, Lewis, and I would have loved him to have landed on, on the Texans for, <laughs> for myself personally. But um, yeah, as you say, looking long-term as well, we've just got to think about this 23 class. There's some really interesting running backs yeah. coming in. Obviously, Bijan Robinson's right at the very top of that. And if the Texans are needing a, a running back, I think they've probably got a few more few more issues as well. So maybe they don't target running back early, but you do just have to bear that in mind. Not a great deal of draft capital invested in Pierce, so as you say, he does really have to take the most of this opportunity, this massive opportunity that he's got got this year. But if he does, then then yeah, who knows? I think he can carry it moving forward. As I say, with a, a lot of needs for for the Texans. But yeah, any anything else to this? Were you going to mention? Yeah, I was just going to say. I think that the difference you can see. I mean, Brees Hall, I think, is a a bit more of a special player. Um, yep. Although obviously the the running back class coming in really really is as well. But I was thinking about the. Um, the Jags with finding James Robinson and then drafting yeah. Travis Etienne. That yeah. James Robinson, the dream is to find a really low-cost running back who can run yeah. absolutely into the ground um, and you know spend your money elsewhere. We've seen about the value of the running back position. And yeah. the Jags then did the opposite. They found the gem um, <laughs> and they went and, and drafted Travis Etienne instead. Um, but the difference is that the Jags are a terribly run franchise. Mm. And whilst yeah. the Texans have had a lot of issues looking at the work Nick Casario has been doing as the GM there, looking at the draft this year, which I thought was spectacular, um, yeah. looking at kind of the transformation of the team, I wonder if they might be smart enough if Damian Pierce hits to go, yeah. cool, we've done it, we found the running back, now let's yeah. focus on, I mean, quarterback, if, if Davis Mills doesn't show out, you know, still uh, potentially looking for a right tackle, still looking for uh, a corner to play opposite um, the high draft pick this year, like, there's still more things they can do um, and whether they might be smart enough to avoid falling into the trap. Yeah, hopefully for you, Lewis, and, and your love for your, your running back, hopefully they do that. Sadly, it <laughs> didn't quite work out for me, but I hope it does for you. But yeah, with that, we're, we're going to move on to, to the final running back now that we're, we're going to talk about, Lewis. And again, over to you. Yeah, and this is all kind of, again, um, hype over the last few years combined with opportunity, and it's Chase Edmonds. Um, he's someone that was really exciting um in 
the entirety of his time in Arizona, whether it be playing slightly behind James Conner or whether it be when he was playing behind David Johnson. Um, and now we've seen him. It's one of those running backs like Alexander Matheson, um, although actually he's potentially being traded to, like Tony Pollard, that we were all screaming to go, you know, he's so talented. I want to see him on a starting workload. Um, and now it seems like we're going to. Um, he's such a perfect fit for kind of the... Um, the outside zone um, 49er scheme uh, that's been taken over with Mike McDaniels. Uh, and they did bring in a fair amount of competition. Raheem Mostert is is probably the most notable one with Sony Michelle being cut, um, which is a shame because he's a Super Bowl champion. Um, actually, I think, a two, I think now a two-time Super Bowl champion, um, or potentially yeah. even more. But anyway, um, so, you know, losing Sony Michelle, I think, is then interesting. Raheem Mostert has had a history of injury worries. Um, one of the interesting things with Chase Edmonds is his ADP is actually still pretty low. He's going lower than that range I was talking about previously. He's someone that I think the community is really in love with because we were in love with him previously. And now we think he's going to um, have an opportunity to be the the established starter in a, a, an exciting offense in a scheme which really suits his game. Um, and we think he should be able to kind of explode with that workload. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much more to add to this, because I absolutely love Chase Edmonds. Anyone that listens to the show or follows me on Twitter knows I absolutely love Chase Edmonds. Like you said, you basically just just read my notes there, Lewis, because I fully agree that the fit is perfect with that that 49 style outside zone, like you mentioned. That fits perfectly to what Chase Edmonds does. Like you talked about, Michelle being cut, his only competition really is Raheem Mostert. While he, he again, fits that, we've seen it before with that, when he played for for the 49ers, that, that speed that he has, it fits nicely. But like you touched upon, it's he's getting up there in age. I believe he's 30 now. Um, mm. obviously coming off a real tough injury as well. It's just how long can he maintain that? I feel that yeah, this is gonna be the Chase Edmonds show. I'm really excited for it. We know he's got that receiving ability as well. Probably people think he's he's more of a receiving back than actually a an out and out running back. So um I think just as a whole in this offense, as we talked about with with two of there with those short passes as well, just everything's it's just like the perfect storm, I think, for Chase Edmonds, they paid him pretty nicely as well, twelve million dollar um, two year deal. Which, if you if you look at it, that makes him the fourteenth highest paid running back per year. So they've given him a pretty nice wage as well to, to go over to Miami. Um, yeah, I absolutely love Chase Edmonds. Currently RB thirty two on keep trade cut, RB thirty nine on on DLF. And as you say, I still feel that's too low to be honest. If Chase mm-hmm. Edmonds hits, I can I can see him definitely gaining in in value. And as I say, he's got a little bit of security having a, a two year contract and. Yeah, super excited for, for Chase Edmonds. Mags, have you got any final thoughts on, on Chase Edmonds? Yeah, no, you guys covered, you know, the vast majority of that. It's, he's got a great opportunity. I would actually just say for, for, for players out there, dynasty players out there, there's a chance that because Mostert knows the system so well that he might start off as the main running back, use that chance to buy Chase Edmonds because Raheem Mostert will get injured. So whenever <laughs> he does, then Chase Edmonds will be the main guy. So, so use that chance if there is one. What would you pay for him if you're a, a contender in a dynasty league? Uh, I think you could probably get a deal done where you are swapping out a player you don't like plus a second, and you should be able to get Chase Edmonds, a player that you know obviously still holds a bit of value, but you maybe aren't the highest on him, and you might be able to flip it and get get Chase Edmonds. You could also, if you really really like him, you could you know give up a first but get Chase Edmonds and maybe like a pick back as well something like that mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't be giving a first straight up I think that's too much but you might be able to give a first and get a little bit back on the other side 
yeah, I think he's kind of a prime candidate for the, the tear down sort of trade. So if you're yeah, yeah. playing with, if, if you still have like a Zeke on your roster, you still have a James Connor on your roster um, yeah. as kind of an RB2 or three, aiming to tear down from one of them to chase Edmonds plus, you know, a, an early two somewhere around that, I think is a deal that you can look to do and still be able to contend this year. Lewis, I think we're in perfect sync here because that was exactly what I was going to say. Is that ideal pivot down, as you mentioned, that mm. RB dead zone guys like Josh Jacobs and, and and as you mentioned, if you can pivot down to somebody like Chase Edmonds, just looking at cute trade cutters, all those guys tend to tend to be above him. So yeah, he's, I think he's the ideal pivot down because I think personally he's going to outplay all of those guys, and I think he can be a, a solid RB two in in fantasy next year. So. Yeah, I think that, that's a perfect example of a, a way you could go and acquire him. So with that, we're now going to move on to some, some wide receivers. Who's the first wide receiver we're going to talk about, Lewis? Uh, well, the, right, uh, the wide receiver we're going to be talking about today um, is someone who, again, it could be about opportunity, uh, someone I liked a lot coming out of college, um, and it's Romeo Dubs um, uh, for the Green Bay Packers. Um, what I did want to highlight before I go on to anything else uh, is... In the live stream, uh, I was on the Packers episode and I talked through a love for Romeo Dubs. And that was obviously a fair few months ago. You guys are nodding because mm. I've told you, Alice <laughs> told you, Kev's told you. Um, <laughs> I talked through when I was asked kind of about who the Packers wide receiver one could be or who I was interested in drafting. I said Dubs because I thought he profiled really well as kind of a, a project alpha wide receiver um, in a way that I think... Christian Watson probably doesn't because I think Christian Watson is he has decent size and speed but I'm not sure he's ever going to be you know that kind of contested catch outside threat throw it up to him and he can out muscle the the DB um and in a way that when you look at the rest of their uh, their receiving core it's something they don't really have um we've seen that he's going for lunch with Aaron Rodgers um and, you know, given how important it was, Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford going for <laughs> breakfast together um, and the end result of that, uh, it's something that's massively overhyped. But, you know, it does show kind of the the intangibles, the other side of things. You don't know how important that's going to be. Uh, Aaron Rodgers typically isn't someone that gels with rookies early on. Um, but actually, um, at Nevada, he, he really, really thrived as kind of the number one target for, for Carson Strong. And he was someone that I was really interested in. Um, as kind of he was in the way I did my uh, wide receiver tiers this year is I had a, a, a tier one just off the bat and then tier two I had project alpha and I had um, project slot sh- slash gadget um, so he was second in the tier two of the project alphas behind George Pickens um, and then on the other side you had kind of like Sky Moore, Wendell Robinson uh, kind of players um but i thought he was someone that i could easily see a path to relevance for and he's ended up in a situation where it looks like he could be relevant quite quickly mm-hmm. yeah like he's coming off that you know those back-to-back thousand yard seasons over at nevada with you know a really excellent as you kind of touch a really excellent dominator reading as well coming out of there that that real chance to be that that alpha and you know he does have limited competition in terms of the talent that's around him but unfortunately not with like just the sheer amount of of receivers that are, are still there. Like, and then the only thing you gotta worry about is, you know, Rogers only a few years left in the league, you'd imagine. Is he going to be willing to start building that that rapport with a new rookie, or is he gonna to continue to throw to like Lazard and Tunyon and Aaron Jones and all the guys that he knows, like Randall Cobb is still there, right? So is he mm-hmm. gonna use those guys or 
you know, is he is he going to take a risk and and build up that rapport? But you know, good signs like going for going for lunch, like he's not going to do that, you know, because he really trusts Romeo Dobbs's like restaurant taste. Like he's doing that for <laughs> for a reason, right? I don't think Dobbs is like a sous chef on the side, so he'll be yeah, he'll be going for that to try and build up a rapport. And the one thing that really does worry me though about Dobbs isn't anything to do with his talent. I think he is a tremendous talent. It's this list right here. Uh, D'Angelo Yancey, Equiminius St. Brown, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jamon Moore, and Amari Rogers. Those are the last that, five that, wide that... receivers. Yeah. I thought that was going to be your, your uh, dream dinner party guest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, it's definitely not Aaron Rodgers' dream dinner party guest. Those are the last... <laughs> Those are the last five receivers that the Packers drafted before they took Christian Watson, and it's not pretty reading. Um, so Dobbs would have to break that mold. He is, you know, very talented, but I just feel that there is also still a chance that at the end of this season, you got your dynasty and fantasy players going, Romeo, Romeo, where art thou, Romeo? <laughs> oh, what a lovely way. I think we've got to end it on that lovely little bit of... Uh poetry there from from Max. <laughs> absolutely love it so so with that we're going to move on to, to the next wide receiver Lewis that you want to talk about yeah so this is a really interesting one because some of these are players that I'm pointing out because they're people that I'm quite in on looking at um Damien Pierce and some of them are players that I actually kind of want to talk about the reasons I'm not particularly in on them when the fantasy community really is. Um, this guy was the ultimate ha- uh, hype guy over the offseason, particularly due to a really strong playoff performance, and that's Gabe Davis. Um, now, Gabe Davis had a four-touchdown, 200-yard performance against the Chiefs in the playoffs in potentially the best football match of all time. I think oh. it was probably... It was unbelievable. Not for, not for me at the not time. For that me. was... Oh. <laughs> The best, the best football match of all time that also caused Max to have a strike. <laughs> uh, yeah. But aside from that... <laughs> as a neutral, um, I absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And, and you know, Gabe, Gabe Davis looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, he's in a really high-powered offense. Um, he's shown flashes where he can succeed. Um, and then he has absolutely rocketed up boards afterwards. He's a third-year player. Um, he obviously um, been in the year two league so far. Uh, he has finished as the PPR 50, uh, PPR wide receiver 57 both years. Um, so it's not something you're particularly excited by. I'm actually having the same amount of receptions both years with 35. So yes, he had the monstrous playoff performance, but if we look through his performance last year um, in the season, he really struggled. Um, and yes, you can say that, you know, They've lost a fair amount of target competition for him um, with, Cole Be- uh, with Cole Beasley leaving, um, with Manny Sanders leaving. Um, but those two players combined age last year was 75. Um, oh, sorry, 65. 65. That's, that's <laughs> almost going to be 70. Yeah, like you've got two players that, whilst still perfectly talented, um, if you're an exciting young player, you should be looking to beat out. So I'm not sure I'm particularly in on the fact that he only really started to thrive once those players were sort of out of the window. Emmanuel Sanders had a had an injury late on and Cole Beasley with um, COVID woes or anti-COVID woes. Um, this year, they, uh, they've brought in Jameson Crowder 
Um, Isaiah McKenzie seems to be thriving throughout camp as, as the presumed starting slot. Um, it's looking like Gabe Davis is going to be, well, it's not even looking like, he's going to be the, the starting wide receiver too for Josh Allen. And that comes with a lot of perks with, you know, a probably unquestionably top three quarterback in the league. Um, for me, I'm not quite willing to pay the price for the breakout yet, having only really seen it in that one game um, and not really being in season as well. Anything can happen in the playoffs. Um, and I don't particularly like drafting off the back of an exciting performance in one game, which seems to be what's happening at the moment. His ADP has absolutely flown through the roof um, to the extent that you're seeing him around you know, the similar range of players I'm a lot more interested in, to be frank with you. Um, in that sort of wide wide receiver 25 to 30 range that I think there's a lot of more secure talent. Um, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, came out and dominated um, just because of who his quarterback is and the offense that he's in. And clearly there is talent there. You don't, you know, score four touchdowns and, uh, and get 200 receiving yards without being a talented wide receiver. For me, I'm not quite there yet with him. Yeah, I think I'm I'm fully with you, Lewis. Like you mentioned, he is that that hype player. I think that the most hyped out of all the players we we spoke about, um, he's that one that's really stood out all off season, and he's that that marmite player. And you're either on the side of, of liking him or on the side of where you're you're not quite there with him. I'm with you, Lewis. I'm not quite not quite there with Gabe Davis. Like you said, he is going to be the where it looks to be the wide receiver too over in in Buffalo, and we know the quarterback. We know how great that that offense is as a whole. Like you said, showed it in that one playoff game, but beyond that. We've seen very little from him in terms of the regular season. Um, just throughout those splash plays, touchdowns, well, he's had 13 touchdowns in his last two years. If you just want to compare that to, to DJ Moore, I think he's just got one less than, than what DJ Moore's got in four years. And it's basically the opposite of DJ Moore. Isn't it? DJ Moore produces with the yards, whereas Gabe Davis is that, that splash touchdown player. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think this is the year where, again, he really has to really has to prove it this year because, as I say, it was a, a day three pick when, when the, the Bills picked him up. Um, there's not a great deal of depth behind, obviously, Stefan Diggs, the, the lead wide receiver there. So you feel like with the 2023 class that's coming up, there's definitely some top-end wide receivers there that I think teams are going to be interested in. And Buffalo having one of the, the you presume, later picks in, in the first round, that's where you tend to see these wide receivers come off the board. So, um, yeah, I think he's got to have a really big year to, to hold down that wide receiver too. Um, position and then as you mentioned just looking at the the ADP it's definitely shot up his wide receiver 32 now on on keep trade cut wide receiver 37 on on DLF and just looking at keep trade cut the guys below him Traylon Burks Brandon Ayuk Keenan Allen I'd take all three of those guys over over Keenan Allen Keenan Allen Keenan Allen exactly own Gabe Davis <laughs> and you are not trading him for Keenan Allen <laughs> I don't understand how you're playing fantasy football Keenan Allen is my redraft <laughs> wide receiver six I love that I got that reaction out of you Lewis that's exactly <laughs> what I want I just <laughs> emphasise my point even more I absolutely love it um, yeah but I, I'm with you I'm looking to move off him wherever possible Mags uh, are you in the same boat? Sell yeah. <laughs> that's all that's all we need on it and with that we're going to move on to, to the final wide receiver we're going to talk about Lewis it's Keenan Allen no it's not um, <laughs> we're, this is interesting actually because I was on um, the UK Steelers podcast yesterday and we spoke quite a lot about this guy um, George Pickens so he is one of the most if not the most talented rookie wide receiver and I think that's Probably something a lot of people wouldn't have any qualms with. Um, he's had a bit of an injury history. He's also had um, a fair amount of off-season trouble throughout his college career. 
Um, but a tremendously talented wide receiver, I think those two things combined is what pushed him down to the mid-second. I think otherwise, I don't see any talent reasons why he shouldn't have been up there with Drake London. Um, now, thankfully for George Pickens, he has found himself with probably the head coach who deals with um, talented players with troubled uh, off-season issues better than anyone else with Mike mm. Tomlin, you know. We only really found out how much of a deal Antonio Brown was after he left Pittsburgh. We only really found out what, what the troubles were with Lev Bell after he left. Um, we knew some of the issues with uh, with Big Ben, but the fact that he managed to have them on the roster for so long and be so so successful, um, he's clearly so good at managing this. Now, George Beckham's an interesting one for me. I think I'm quite happy with him in a dynasty league, and I think... Um, down the line, he's going to be really successful. It looks like he's starting at outside receiver um, and has been quite hyped up in camp with Chase Claypool starting in the slot. Um, the issue for me in redraft and the issue for me just looking at um, the the season upcoming is you're going to be starting with Mitch Trubisky, um, who is bad, and then you're going to be moving on to Kenny Pickett, who is a rookie and whilst there seems to have been some flashes uh, he was actually quite close to being my preseason hype quarterback um but i just didn't want to talk about kenny Pickett <laughs> five um, i just want to say thank you lewis for for making because <laughs> i'd let you know. <laughs> yeah whilst there's been some flashes you know you're still going to have a really uncertain season whether it's trubisky or whether it's Pickett. there are five uh, potential fantasy-relevant uh, skill position players in Pittsburgh. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Najee Harris, and Pat Frymery. There is a 0% chance that all five of them can be relevant with these players at quarterback and with the offensive yeah. line woes that they're having and kind of with a not particularly good offense. If you're asking me, which you kind of are, because you've invited me on. Um, <laughs> Deontay, Deontay Johnson, I think, is a sure thing. Najee Harris is a sure thing. And then I think you can get one more from the other three. Uh, because Deontay's starting uh, as an outside receiver, and obviously very versatile and successful outside receiver, Najee in the backfield, I think you're more likely to have the other successful player be someone playing, uh, kind of being targeted in those kind of short to mid um, routes and kind of over the middle and that's looking at either a slot receiver or a tight end so if you're asking me i'd say the third fancy relevant player will probably be um pat frymuth or chase claypool in the slot it's not to say that i don't think george pickens is fantastic because i think he's really really talented i just don't think this is going to be the year for him yeah i mean you you kind of like to said a lot of things I was going to say he was like a lot of people's number one wide receiver before before that injury and I thought it was really interesting he is um currently the bookies third favorite to win the offensive rookie of the year just behind wow. Pickett and Hall which I thought was a really interesting one his odds are like 10 to 1 whereas like Hall is maybe 7 to 1 Pickett is 6 to 1 so it's not it's not like he's a massive outsider at third. He's, he's a third favorite. And you can kind of see why, because the Steelers, you know, obviously have this reputation for building these wide receivers and they, they do well at building even wide receivers straight out as rookies. And I actually think he could be quite interesting in the red zone as well. I mean, Deontay Johnson, you know, he's an okay red zone threat. He's not a brilliant red zone threat. He's he's not really, you know, blowing anyone away with, with how he's doing there. So he could be interesting in the red zone. Red zone. Claypool, you mentioned him. He's a bit of a knucklehead, right? He's just like, 
I know I know Tomlin does forgive these things, but like the celebration whenever like they were trying to win the game and the thing about oh maybe we should play music and training and Tomlin's like maybe you should just actually train. Um, and and things... coming out, there was an interview with uh, in this off season where he was like, I know for sure that I'm a top three wide receiver in yeah. the NFL. Bro, really? Like you're not even a top three <laughs> receiver on your own team, man. Like, let's, <laughs> let's calm down, right? Um, so yeah. I, I do think he has potential to sneak in and have like a good first year, but I'm kind of with you. I don't think he's going to blow anyone away in the first year. I think going forward, though, you know, the Steelers did just pay Deontay Johnson. They're not in the habit of doing that. They haven't paid anyone since Antonio Brown. Now they have paid Johnson. I don't see them doing the same with Claypool and with others. So he could find that role growing as he went into the second year. I'm really worried this year by that offensive line. They spend at the minute $32 million on it when the top line is high 40s, even early 50s with millions of dollars on what you're wanting to spend on the top offensive line. So they're miles behind that. They didn't really invest in it too much as well in the draft or in free agency. So it all boils down to, do you trust Tomlin? Do you trust the Steelers? And I do. I think I think he will end up you know, being a fantasy-relevant player. Just it might take a little bit of time. And, and did you see the guy pushed over, by the way? Can we talk about that? That was <laughs> awesome. That was so good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love Pickens as well. I think he's one of our most owned players in in Dynasty this off season in, in my rookie draft. So I've been, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that I've been getting him at the end of the the first round in, in my rookie draft. I don't mind getting him a little bit earlier. I know his ADP was more around that early second. I was more than fine paying the 109, 110 to to grab him because I'm I'm with you, Lewis. I'm I'm a massive believer in the talent. I think it was that injury that that derailed that value a little bit. So yeah, fully on board, and I absolutely love Pickens. Um, long term. So with that, we're going to move on to the final play we're going to talk about. Quick one about the, the tight end and uh, who we're talking about, Lewis. Uh, we're going to be talking about Isaiah Likely. And this you'll notice that's the only one I've not done kind of a big lead into because I think he was the only real candidate to talk about here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's interesting looking at, you know, we're obviously saying with this is a tight end uh, and obviously he is, but the way he's projecting to be played in mm. the Ravens' offense, in the Ravens' system, uh, they are probably going to lead the league in two tight end sets. So we instantly look and we go, but they've got an elite starter. So where's you know, where's he really going to be playing? Um, but actually, um, his competition for snaps is not Mark Andrews. Isaiah Likely's competition for snaps is Devin Duvernay. It's James Prochet. Um, it's whoever else is on the Ravens wide receiver core, um, which, you know, it's not particularly exciting outside of Rashad Bateman. But if we look at them training away Hollywood Brown, they want this. This isn't a case of, you know, we've built a really terrible wide receiver core. Um, this is a case of, no, this is how we want to build. We want one do-it-all guy on the outside and everything else we're going to build around um, our tight ends and our running game. Um, he has absolutely dominated the preseason. I think he... In the last game of the preseason, he caught every single target that he saw for a hundred yards and a touchdown or something like that. You know, he's yeah. he's really thrived. Um, I actually thought because they grabbed a pair of tight ends, and I actually thought Charlie Kohler was the the more relevant player and the player that I maybe saw a little bit more of coming out. Um, but actually, it's obviously been likely that's dominated and Charlie Kohler's injured. So I think weirdly, you have a path to early fantasy relevancy. Um, obviously, there's not a huge upside because at most he's ever going to be the the third receiving target on the team uh, for a team that doesn't really pass that much. Um, but, you know, if you were taking him in in rookie drafts, you probably got him in the fifth. 
um, if you didn't get him off waivers. And if you find yourself with a PPR option at, at tight end towards the end of this year, towards the end of next year, um, that's a really, really good um, return on your investment. Yeah, no, to be honest, I absolutely loved Isaiah Likely pre-draft. He was my tight end three, so a guy that I had definitely had my oh, wow. own leading into, into the NFL draft uh, playing over at Coastal Carolina. Um, did a, a thread on him on, on Twitter, and that's really what caught my eye when I was looking into him and, and what he did over there. So really excited about how it, what his play style was. Um, not too not too happy, like you mentioned, when he landed with the Ravens. Obviously, we know Mark Andrews, the lead guy there. And then he wasn't even the first tight end that they selected in, in the NFL draft. So that did dampen my spirits a little bit. But as you say, this offseason is how it's been building that. Um, eight receptions for 100 yards and a, and a touchdown against Arizona was amazing. And then um, his good friend, Dynasty Island, actually pointed out a really interesting stat that um, in the preseason, he ran 29 routes. 21 of those he ran them from the slot so that just shows you how they're looking to use him not even just as a inline tight end they want to get him the ball and, and that's what i saw from him in, in college is, is a real playmaking tight end um, not your prototypical normal blocking tight end is it's more of that receiving tight end so fantasy i was absolutely excited by him um had it dampened a little bit but yeah this preseason it's it's got those hopes back up for me and Long term, I'm, I'm super excited to see how it plays out for him. And even like you mentioned, Lewis, even short term, the fact that there's very little competition for targets. And as I say, the way that you're using him, seeing him used in in the slot quite a lot as well this this preseason, it's starting to get me back on board with him a little bit. His, his ADP is creeping up though, tight end 19 now on keep trade cut, tight end 23 on, on DLF. So he's creeping up to that range of, of guys like Revin Jordan, a player from, from last year that, that show flashes. So yeah, I definitely think he's a really exciting tight end to to look forward to hopefully in, in the future um but yeah with that that wraps that up and we're now going to move on to the wild card section so we've got our brilliant guest lewis to to give us his wild card selection so the player that he thinks is going to improve it, the dynasty value the most in 2022 so lewis without further ado who is your fantasy wild card well this is someone that i think no one is really surprised that i'm gonna have chosen um it's someone that's a little <laughs> bit of a fantasy darling at the moment um wasn't particularly highly rated coming into the nfl um but actually now is up to the quarterback eight on keep trade cut um is someone that has had a massive turnaround this offseason and has the opportunity and the potential to develop into a real nfl star and a um a fantasy darling as well and that's jalen hurts um Hertz was someone I really liked before he came into the NFL. And then when he went to Philadelphia, it's an interesting one where you look at it and you go, mm, that tells me something. And the fact he managed to take over from Carson Wentz within uh, his first season didn't really surprise me. Um, the crucial thing when looking at Hertz is looking at, obviously, his previous play in the NFL, um, but also looking at his surrounding cast now. So um, he has three top-end receiving threats. Um, one of the best young talents um, in uh, in the NFL, in A.J. Brown, obviously coming over from the Titans this year, um, and having a skill set that really helps um, a, a young developing wide receiver because A.J. Brown tends to work a lot in kind of the, the, the short game with you know yards after catch but also is the kind of guy that he's so strong he's so physical you can chuck it up and sort of wait for him to win it in the air um devonta smith who i thought was really really good last year um and you know kind of got a little bit outshone because of how good jamar chase and Jalen waddle were but devonta smith himself was really good last year um and then dallas goddard who's a really prolific red zone threat um you know 
took over from Zach Ertz as, as tight end one. And I think they're really happy with him. He, you know, I, I'm less interested in him for, for fantasy, but very talented player. Um, then also potentially the best offensive line in football, um, especially with uh, with the injuries that we've seen in Dallas and the injuries we've seen in Tampa. Um, I think the Eagles are certainly up there. Um, and they also, because they're a very well, well-run well franchise, um, they're always kind of bringing in depth and building for the future. So they've brought in, um, is, it, is it Gadecki? I can't remember who the center prospect is that they brought in as like the next guy up after. It's probably Jason Kelsey's last year was extended for a one-year deal this offseason. Um, so it looks like they're going to continue with the offensive line domination. Um, it has done for the last few years. So I think you're then looking at a player who we're at the point at which Jalen Hurts either breaks out and is the Eagle starter for the next, you know, five, six years and gets a big contract, or um, they draft someone new next year. They've positioned themselves really, really well um, with uh, two uh, first-round picks next year in an exciting quarterback class. Um, if Jalen Hurts doesn't ball out, they can go and get a Bryce Young. Um, they can go and replace him, and they can can move on. Um, but actually, looking at the way Jalen Hurts played last year, he, he was 19th um, in EPA per play, um, which is, you know, pretty middle of the road. But for a second-year starter, um, and actually, you know, didn't start until the end of his first season anyway, um, to be kind of middle of the road, I think we should be pretty happy with that. Not everyone is Justin Herbert and breaks out immediately. Um it does take quarterbacks generally a bit longer to develop. Um, in terms of fantasy, he has one of the highest flaws of any fantasy quarterback um, just because of that rushing ability uh, combined with the offensive line. And if he's developing even slightly as a passer, we're going to see him um, potentially, you know, cementing himself as an elite starter for, for years to come. Um, Jalen Hurts, one of the last things to, to touch upon uh, for me, one thing that I like to do before any season starts, and I'm probably going to release this in the next week, um, is to look at all of the players that I think have the upside to finish as the the number one overall player in their position. Um, and Jalen Hurts is one of maybe four, maybe five quarterbacks that can do that um, with the combination of you know a really fantastic offensive line, some really good weapons around him, and the rushing upside as well, um, as well compared to the fact that I don't think the running backs are that good. So I think if you're going to put together a, a running game, which they started to do towards the end of last season, um, you're going to build it around your quarterback. Um, I think he has all of the hallmarks of a player that could could absolutely explode. Um, I'm not putting all of my eggs into the Jalen Hurts basket, which I think is what the Eagles are doing as well by kind of <laughs> moving one of those first-round picks to next year just in case. Um, but he's a player that I can really look at and go, I think he's going to be amazing this season for fantasy. And I can see the path to him being the cute, the like absolute consensus QB4 um, in startups next season. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much about, about Jalen Hurts. He was my you know, unplanted, <laughs> unplanted flag only a few weeks ago on this show. So, you know, I called him Zoolander because he can't throw left. Um, so, <laughs> I can't say too much about him. Look, I don't see him rising too much. I can even see guys like Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence actually going above him potentially in dynasty rankings. 
But you know what? If he can sort his arm out, he does have a chance. But he's got to win games for the Eagles or they will replace him in that 23 draft, as you said. But you know, he's got a chance. And I'm happy to be wrong if if he does end up balling out. And I wish him all the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's, it's a little bit like what we spoke about with Tua. It feels like that make or break year. But on the flip side of that, they've surrounded him with those those weapons. And, and as I said with Tua, he doesn't have that ceiling. You can't really say that for Jalen Hurts because we've seen that yeah. rushing ability. And now that the fact they've added AJ Brown, who's one of the definite better wide receivers in the NFL, top top ten, I think, without question. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out for Jalen Hurts. And if it all does fall into place and he does get that long-term contract, fully agree, Lewis, he's going to be a top four consensus quarterback, I think, in, yeah. in Dynasty. But the if, obviously is that that risk. If you knew that Jalen Hurts was going to be the Eagle starter for five years... Where would you take him in a startup? Like you said, QB4, I think he's got to be right up there with that upside that he has. Max? Uh, he'd, he'd, he'd break my top 32 then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, might, he might plant the flag back if, if he does do <laughs> But though, with that, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you once again, Lewis, for, for coming on. It's been great. We've discussed some of the camp and, and preseason hype players. But before you do go, please do let everyone know where they can find you and anything that you, you want to plug before you leave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm on Twitter at LewisWoodFF underscore UK. Um, I, all of my writing uh, takes place on King Fantasy Sports, which you can find the link to on my profile. Um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up. So um, Kingy, who runs it, has been doing a preview for every single team, uh, which is obviously a nice way. If you've got your draft coming up this weekend, right before to go, ah, oh, crap, I haven't looked at anything that's been going on. What's changed? Um, it's a nice little way to look at it. Um, there's also, uh, I'd say, to watch this space for... Um, a King podcast itself on the way uh, in nice. potentially, hopefully the next few weeks. I'm trying to, I love coming on with you guys and I love podcasting. So it'd be nice to, uh, to get into doing it a lot more as well. Um, but yeah, I know some, some good stuff coming up in season as well. Love it. And Mags, any final thoughts from you? Uh, no, just thanks. Thanks for having me on to, to co-host with you, Matt. Um, absolutely loved it. Always love coming on to the show. Love chatting with Lewis again as well. And yeah, guys, make sure you keeping your eyes peeled for, the brand new wildcard rewind show coming to a screen near you very soon. So keep your eyes peeled. Make sure you're following at wildcard rewind myself, Han Roland, the absolute legend, and Paul Pickin, who's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I get to, to thank both of you guys, Mags, obviously, for, for coasting with me. And as you say, looking forward to Dynasty Rewind, rewind starting. Um, that's going to be a lot of fun. And Lewis, thank you for coming on and, and being a great guest. And yeah, if you are doing that podcast, I, I can't wait to see that, that yeah. happening. And it's been great to finally be able to talk to you, obviously, yeah. <laughs> when you came on the stream. Sadly, I wasn't able, but I did watch while having my breakfast. So I knew that Romeo Dubs were going <laughs> to get a little bit of a little bit of talk. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming on, Lewis. It's been an absolute blast. And, and thank you to everyone for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Fantasy Wildcard. Also, if you could leave us a five-star podcast review, and that would really appreciate it. It helps get exposure to a, a wider audience. And be sure to join us on our next show, Tuesday, the 6th of September. It's going to be our final show before the new season starts. And we're bringing on our good friend, Dynasty Island, Rich Coolin. Obviously, we had Liam on the other week, so... We get the the worst half. I'm going to say. I, I think I'm I'm on the side of, of Liam. We're gonna we're gonna really <laughs> dig into Rich, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun getting Rich on. So yeah, do do keep your eyes peeled for that when it drops. As I say, on Tuesday, the 6th of September. So thanks once again. Have a good one, and we'll see you again soon.
When you have the wild card, you have the power to change the game.